Stu here. I'm very proud to announce that Spoilers, my award-winning climate change comedy show, is returning to the Edinburgh Festival on the 12th, 13th and 14th of August. You can get your tickets at stuartgoldsmith.com on the little orange banner, or you can just go to edfringe.com and search my name. I mean, that's what I'd do. Whether you're a die-hard, north-face-wearing climate dude, or whether you are just a regular person who's a little bit nervous about all the news you're seeing and doesn't really know what to think, there's something there for you. It's really fun and funny, and I think you're going to love it. See you there. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and today I'm talking to Jess Robinson, an incredibly talented and accomplished singer and impressionist and someone who's able to combine those skills to caricature and characterise your favourite singers in incredible ways and get those the, get her voice to have such elasticity that she can brilliantly mimic uh, and kind of point up the elements in other singers' voices. She's so funny, and she is such an incredible live performer, and seeing her is an incredible live experience. So do uh, look forward to this, and do try and get to see her live whenever you can. I'm just going to say at the beginning of this episode that uh, we we had a certain we had a certain level of depth to the to the conversation, and I felt Jess was holding back, and I called her on it. And then we achieved a bit more depth to it. So that's just something to bear in mind. I suppose I was a little bit concerned afterwards as to whether I'd been tough on her. Uh, But she's a friend and I felt she trusted me to do that. Jess, I know you'll be listening to this now. Don't worry. I think you come out of this great. And I'm really so pleased that she decided to to be so honest. And after some interesting stuff, we managed to get into some interesting and rather deeper stuff. So I hope you enjoyed this episode with the wonderful Jess Robinson. One of the ways that I sort of enjoy, in a perverse way, starting conversations like this is to force you to explain who you are and what Uh, you do, which I know everyone hates, but I think you will find it easier than most comics because what you do is quite specialised. Yeah. So tell us what that is. So... Um, oh God, I feel like a fraud, massive wanker twat. I do impressions and I do singing impressions and I mock celebrities and I'm sort of surprised that I'm here because I I like to be a comedian, but I don't think of myself on the same level as any other stand-up comic that goes out there and, you know, does clubs night after night because I feel like what I do is so different and I feel sometimes that um people will uh be a bit sneery about what I do because it's quite mainstream it's quite sort of Saturday night um I did that boogie cheese thing and um yeah 
I'm a, I'm a wanker fraud. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well let's let's kind of dig into that because I should I should well maybe I should have started with this. Last time we gigged together yeah. was at that um, thing for Waverley Care in Edinburgh. Oh yeah, yeah. So it was a, like a um, yeah 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 kind of a black tie. I mean a corporate you could say. Yeah. It was a sort of charity thing. I forgot that. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, I'd seen you before. I'd seen you at the Amused Moose final, where I believe you yes. won the People's Champion. Yes, and you <laughs> gave me a really good lecture, which I. <laughs> no. I, was, I was all proud that I'd given someone a good tip, and no, now it no, turns out have. it was a lecture. And it, 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 I can't I carried it with me. Oh, I God. carried it with me because I think that was my was that my first or my second? I think it could have been second my second year, Edinburgh. I think, yeah. And um it was about not reading reviews and and ah. when someone tags you on Twitter saying, I here's a two-star review of Jess Robinson or something, and they've tagged you, or here's a review of Jess Robinson, you said to write back, thank you so much, thanks for coming to the show. I don't read reviews. And so I tried to do that from then. <laughs> last year, this this last Edinburgh, I think I got it right. Excellent. Excellent. And that was making my niece, who's 16, take over my social media for the whole of Edinburgh. Oh, and well I didn't done. look at it. Well done. But I, I had to be really disciplined and I, it's I think hard. I may have said on the show before, like the level I'm at level three at the moment, which is I don't read anyone's reviews, including my own or anyone else's. Right. Level four is doing that and not telling everyone that that's what you're doing. No, <laughs> like at the moment I'm walking yeah, yeah, around yeah, yeah. going, hey guys, I don't read reviews. You yeah, know, yeah. Like, which it has, has the same seeds of anxiety in it. Oh, I no, I still, I, it's like picking a scab isn't it it's still quite tempting mm-hmm. but um yeah so that's okay so i that's a that's a, a lecture that i've given one or two people that's funny that uh, no it's it's it was like it was very free this last time yeah. i'm glad because they're not for us right yeah but they're it's not for us because... and adding people in the reviews i often think is an attempt to i mean obviously from the point of view of the person producing the review they simply want their work to be retweeted they want their thing to yeah. be read um but from our point of view it can only feel like it's a you know, they want something emotionally from us. Like, by all means, get it read, but don't send it to me. I don't want to read your praise. You don't want to have someone walk up to you in the street and go, oh, just... It's like the person after a gig who says, oh, I saw you last night, and you turn around smiling, like, yeah. And they go, yeah, I preferred that other person. You know, why would you say that to me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the point I was coming to is that what you do is spectacular. Is it? Yeah. And you know that it is. Well, like, you, you you are a standing ovation act, right? Like, generally, in life. You're the sort of person who, when you do your thing that you do, yeah. people get to their feet and go, Jesus Christ, I've never seen anything like that before. That has, I mean, you can't deny that no, that has happened once that or twice. Has de- that has <laughs> definitely happened, and that's incredible. But I still, you know, and that's... Great, and I've got that that skill to sing and to impersonate and to make people laugh that way and and surprise people. But the idea of just standing at a microphone and telling jokes scares me shitless. I, I okay. just I don't think I could do it. Okay, what's the longest? What what's the what is the closest you've come to doing that? Because you do do you talk to the audience? Oh, I do the talkings. Songs. I don't and, call and it sound. Not... I call it talkings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and you're and you're not when you're doing genuinely brilliant celebrity impressions of very specific singers singing. Mm, you're mm. not simply doing an impersonation of them. No, or, or I, like I don't to know observe what observe stuff what, about them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, it, and it is. It breaks is. down how it works. And exactly yeah. right. It's a. It's a. I hate it when people refer to stand up as a sketch. Do you know what I mean? Because it isn't yeah. that. But you are. You are 
very specifically highlighting what's absurd about them. It's a, it's yeah. a, it's a vocal caricature. Yeah, I'm just being an arsehole. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, just, let's call it that. Now we're on the same page. Um, so, so there is... There is a lot, I think, that we can talk about, about the decisions you make when you're doing that, about the, the, the places where those ideas come to you from that are effectively stand-up comedy in a different set of clothes. Yeah, it? okay. This is good. This is just like a therapy session boost for me. I'm not this. Thank you. <laughs> good. Well, tell me first then, before we get to those, before we get to the impressions, tell me about the, the, the talkings. Tell me about the talky bits that you do in between. Well, they've all been quite different. I guess... My most comfortable talky bits <laughs> are when I'm explaining um, what's funny about uh, Paloma Faith's voice. And, you know, the, the way she speaks is like a little baby, a little girl who's had acid or something. It's like, it's like she's so weird and peculiar. And when she sings, like it's like a weird foghorn. So I like making those observations that people can pick up on or... Um, um, but, but, you know, and, and if it's Julie Andrews, the way she sings and the way she speaks are exactly the same. You, you're not surprised, but you're surprised when Paloma Faith's voice comes yes, out. Yes, gotcha. And okay. you're surprised when Adele's voice comes out, um, her singing voice, because she speaks like she could sell you a sausage roll in a pub and she's got that ridiculous laugh. So I, I like, I like doing that sort of thing. I talk about that until the cows come home. Um, the, the slightly, probably cliche show that I did but which really helped me and and um got uh me noticed a little bit was my show the year before last about my divorce and about everything that broke down and how it all broke down and and all of that sort of stuff and I'm sure like loads of Sarah Pascoe and um uh John Robbins John Robbins I know you said Robin Morgan (laughs) uh John Robbins yeah they did their their breakup shows didn't they this year and and it was a good way to deal with it and I could have gone further I could have told them everything but I didn't um but yeah so that was quite easy to talk about but as the I was still it was really fresh and I was dealing with it at the same time and so some nights I really wanted to talk about it and other nights I just wanted to forget about it but I decided to do a show okay. and and talk everybody through what had happened and how I was feeling and okay. that just in the end was just like oh fucking hell now I didn't see that show I'm assuming that whilst talking about it there was lots there was a lot of singing there was lots of that singing was, so yeah, it's yeah. not simply a spoken word kind of this is my no but there were big chunks of quite sort of vulnerable okay. stuff so you said there that you could have gone deeper, but you didn't. So why didn't you? Um, I think I just didn't want to out him to everyone. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> like, about him, but I didn't want to make it about him. I wanted to talk about me, but then it... Oh, it's hard doing those sort of shows, actually. And part of me sort of cringes at it, and another part of me is glad that I did it, but it's it's quite a vulnerable place to put yourself in and it's quite a cliche thing to do and quite sort of cringy, isn't it? I'm just going around in circles, talking, well, talking. No, no, no. I think um, I think there is definitely something interesting about the performer's desire, and specifically in your case, the performer's desire, someone who on stage has got a lot of things you can do besides yeah. simply talk about your feelings. Yeah, I hadn't done anything like that before. Sure. And there must have been, I mean, presumably there was something attractive to you in going, well, actually I can, I can use this space on stage to do something else besides 
by amazing. I was going to call it showing off there, but I don't mean it. It, do you it know is showing off, though. It's like going in your, in your, a party dress. Absolutely. So in your, <laughs> was it in your first show where you had the two wheels? Yeah, the wheels the are 64 tunes. Yeah. yeah, great. So you had all these different, you had different um, styles yeah. and different Eight different artists. celebrities on one, eight different songs on the other. Yes. And we'd spin them and so... And so that's would sing Ace of Spades. Or... Great. And any any version of that that happened, you were completely comfortable with. And it was, like you said, a girl in a party dress. It had this kind of party trick yeah. feel to it. That yeah. like, you are so comfortable in your ability to do something, not just to fulfil the brief of A meets X, yeah. but, um, but also to make it fresh every time, to make yourself laugh, to make Kirsty Newton, who was playing the piano yeah, for you, yeah. you know, that you'd be in fits of giggles because you were coming up with these kind of... Oh, it was great fun, yeah. I mean, it sounds fantastic. So you could presumably have done that kind of thing for the rest of your career. People were disappointed that the wheels didn't come back. <laughs> okay, that, I've got to how, say. How did that feel, that they were disappointed, that you were like, I'm doing my meaningful show, and they're like, bring back the wheels? <laughs> well... Um, not, luckily, for, for light relief in, in the divorce show, as we'll call it, um, we did have Natalie Casti's ball bag in that. So she had a bag full of balls with different okay. songs and things on. But um, I loved the wheels, but it, it, um, it felt like it always feels with Edinburgh like you have to come back reinvented each year and not do just the same crowd-pleasing stuff. I don't know. It feels... It feels funny in that way. I kept trying to push myself to do different things and to raise it and to keep raising the level and raising the bar each time, um, which is how I got to talking, of, you know, like talking about divorce and shit like that. It's like showing everyone your pants, isn't it? It's a bit, well, like, I'm, interested, I'm interested in the, the, the genesis of that idea to do that divorce show. Was it a case of you feeling like you had to do something like that in order to have reinvented yourself, to, in order to, not necessarily to please Edinburgh, but to fit the expectations of Edinburgh. Yeah. Did you, was there a sense that, that something was expected of you as a, like once you've gone up there and taken the roof off with this smash hit show, I remember the posters everywhere, <laughs> and you know, it was a real, it was like a landing, bang, this is, this is a new thing we should all be aware of. Yeah, but you know, that was also a thing like, oh, let's put big posters up so people think I'm a person before I yeah. actually am. Yeah, 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 of course. And that's that's the game that everyone participates in. But, yeah. but equally, you can put a load of big posters up there and not have people on their feet applauding. Do you know okay, what I mean? Like, yeah. you, you, it seemed to fit the... Yeah. Oh, you know, the worst case scenario in this is that, God, your brand identity's great. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> she can't deliver the goods at all, but whoa, you think. And I don't think we're in that sort of territory. Yeah, okay. Right? So once... There is this idea that, bang, year one, you know, explosive. Year two, explosive. Was there a sense for you that in year three, I'm just wondering where it came from. Did you think, I've got to get on there and talk about my divorce? Mm. Or, or did you think, I have to do something else and it seems appropriate to Edinburgh to dig deeper? How much, how, 60, 40? What, where were you on it? Um, well, my director for that show was um, lovely Rohan Acharya, yep. who'd done my first two shows as well. And it, when we were talking about the third Edinburgh, I think it, all of the stuff was going on. I'd literally just left him and stuff. And, and so uh, Ro okay. was saying, OK, so let's just think. I just want you to write about all the things you're thinking about at the moment. What have you been thinking about this year? And all I could say was, the divorce. So that's, that was it. That's gotcha. all I okay. could think about. That's all. So I thought, and I thought, fuck him, fuck this. I'm going to make this the best show I've ever done. Yeah. And fuck you. So yeah. it, but, I think it, it came from anger as well. And, and sort of. 
this is in my, I, I'm moving on, this is in my rearview mirror and I'm going to do a fucking amazing show about it. But it was, is that just a bit indulgent, isn't it? Well, absolutely not. I mean, no more so than any of us, you know, let's, let's assume that we're all uh, self-indulgent <laughs> to a certain extent. Let's assume I mean, that we that all want to get career, up there. isn't it? Yeah. Show off yeah, in yeah, our party dresses. So that's, that's interesting. So was it a case maybe that it was too fresh for you to be able to, for you to have the tools to talk about it? Like the I event guess. had just happened. When I was talking to my mates about it... Um, and, what, I, I, and I don't know the material facts of it because I didn't see that show, but you got divorced. You were, How long were you married? I mean, 18 you, months. Wanna... Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so fine. I was married for 18 months together with him for about um, eight years. And then, okay. oh, my God, big, big, big things came out that I didn't know about. A whole double life was going on. Okay. Um, some internet stuff that I didn't know about. Kind of gross, dark stuff. And, yeah... Wow. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, which I can't talk about too much because sure his mum still doesn't know. Whoopsies. So. <laughs> okay. But um, yeah. So, so yeah, I was talking to my friends about it, and it was all very fresh. And they were like, "Jess, just feel like this is a show that you could do maybe in a year. This is like not the show you should be doing now." But everybody, you know, I was determined. How do you feel now? A couple of years since that. How do you? Do you think you could do that show justice or more justice now? I think I might go further now into telling the stories, but no, I don't think so. I think that was a show for then and I don't want to do it now. And um, I guess I'm I'm glad I did it then. I don't, yeah. And so this last Edinburgh, I was like, well, I'm just going to have fun. I'm just going to do my favourite thing. I'm not going to try and reinvent the wheels of 64 tunes or reinvent the wheels um i'm just gonna have a lovely time with my band and that's what i did and it was a really simple just feel good fun fun show so, so yeah. let's talk about the the feel good fun stuff let's talk about the voices when did you first become aware that you could nail a, a singing impression of someone um so at school, I was. This is going to be like the story that everybody. Has I know told they're all they're all very ever. different. They're all very different. I was not popular. I was not a pretty girl. I didn't have boyfriends. I was just a bit of a dweeb. Um, and what what is this school? What's the school about? Because am I right in thinking you were a stage school? Ooh, ooh, yeah, yeah. Go so on. my mum. So I. Like didn't, I have no experience of that. I don't know what that like. What that's well, like at all. My mum is a pianist. And she ran the second-hand shop there, <laughs> uniform okay. shop. Okay. <laughs> and um, I was really frightened of going to um, normal state school because I thought it would be like Grange Hill. And um, a few people told me I would get my head um, flushed down the toilet and my mm-hmm. trainers cut up. And mum was there playing the piano, so I, I auditioned. I could sing. I always was good at singing. So I auditioned for this school and I got a music scholarship and I went there. And I never wanted to be a performer. I wanted to be a vet. What? And you literally started this by going, oh, it's the same old story. And I don't think I've ever heard of anyone <laughs> go to stage school. I mean, maybe I, I don't know many stage school or any stage school people, but um, you went to stage school because you were scared of real school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. didn't actually want to be a performer. No, I didn't. Did, did, you, did you have a feeling that anyone else was in that same boat with you? Or was everyone there a kind of what we might imagine to be the stage school cliche of like, Everyone wants to play Annie. 
I did. Is, yeah, that, is that a cliche or not? It wasn't like fame, but yeah, there was, I mean, lots of, it was properly, it was really a, a, um, known for its ballet and its dancing. And I am shit. The teachers hated me. I've got inside out arms and sway back legs and flat feet and uh, no. So um, I was there on the theatre course, which was like a course for duds. It's from the age of nine to 18. Um, and um, I just, I was just there fannying around. Lots of people really wanted to be serious ballet dancers. There were lots of anorexic people there um, and sort of people that were un, quite unhealthy. Um, yeah, it was a weird place to sort of become a person. It must have been. I mean, I suppose that that idea of like, and I mean, I don't know much about anorexia, but I suppose the culture of a stage school environment must be a very weird place to be a kid. I mean, I, I certainly... It's bad for your body image, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, it's not... It's not... But then so is everything at the moment, magazines and yes. all of that stuff. Yeah. I, I remember from... I went to a drama school for a year, I did, or nine months, I did like a post-grad degree. And uh, I remember thinking, with no reflection to the particular one that mm. I went to, but I remember thinking the whole idea of a drama school, even yeah. for like, you know, 18 to 21 year olds, whatever, is a bit mad because there isn't enough work for all the supply think, that you're creating. Yeah. There's not enough demand. And I would imagine with stage schools as well, there's, not every kid that comes out of stage school is going to get a I'm job. I'm the only one in my year that's working. I think, I think most people gave up in the first few years. Having had your mates. whole childhood yeah. Yeah, yeah, geared yeah, yeah. around Absolutely. success and an, an arguably, not an impossible dream, but <clears> an incredibly <throat> unlikely dream. Whereas I suppose if you go to a regular school and they say... You know, one day you could be a teacher or a yeah. whatever, or a banker or a lawyer, yeah. whatever you want. Then, yeah, there's lots. I mean, I'm not saying it's easy to achieve those things, but there yeah. are opportunities rather yeah. than one day you can you can be one of a million people auditioning for one role. Yeah, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I had the best time. It was like being at a constant summer camp or something. Okay, it was okay, fun. It was fun. There were bitchy people there, and the dance teachers were hideous. But it was it was really fun. But I was still determined at the age of 18 when I left. That I, I had a place at Bristol University to do a music degree and um, <clears throat> I was determined that that's what I was going to do and, and I would be a um, film composer or maybe a session singer or something like that. I was okay. going to do something like that. Okay. And Which then... is sort of the opposite of the star. <clears throat> that's like you went there, you didn't want to be a performer. And no. Then, and something changed whereby you went, well, there's an opportunity for actual, presumably there's work as session singers. Yeah. More readily available. Yeah, than, and I think it's decent than money. Getting a job and... as a star. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. But um, we did a, a show at school, and I think the the drama teacher was sort of probably railroaded by my mum into giving me a decent role because I'd been there for so long. And there happened to be an agent in that night um, who said to me, um, Why don't you defer your place for a year? And why don't you, you know, come on the books and, and let's see what happens. Okay, so what happened? So that at that point, I thought, oh, okay, maybe I should. So I, so I played, uh, I, got, I, <laughs> I got a job on Oxford Street in the stockroom uh, in a clothes shop called Morgan at the age of 18. Moved to um, uh, a hostel. With my friend Kirsty, who was a ballet dancer. And we hadn't ever been friends at school, actually. 
she she was a little Yorkshire redhead girl, and um, the my earliest memory of her was her asking me not to sit on her bed with a bare bottom. <laughs> Little little random story for you there. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so we moved to London. She got a job in a bar. I got a job at this um, yeah this shop on Oxford Street in the stockroom, and um, I auditioned for a pantomime, and I got the part of Snow White at the Shaw Theatre in Euston. <laughs> and even then, after that, I was like, no, I don't like it. I don't like the dancers in the cast. They are bitches. I don't want to spend my life doing this. This is awful. But then the director said, do you want to come and play Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz in Western Supermare? <laughs> <laughs> every, every dream, every girl's dream. So I went to Western Supermare and I played Dorothy. And then I think I got another job out of that. And I just slowly, slowly just started working. And then when it was time to nearly confirm Bristol again, I deferred it another year. And then I never went. So I've just been a wanker since I was born, really. Well, what is it that you... When you say I've been a wanker since I was born, what, are, what, are you, what tactic are you trying to do conversationally? No, I don't know. Come on. Let, listen, <clears throat> like, you're... I fell it, into it all. I fell into you're the You're embarrassed as to well. have been successful. I've it, been... I don't... I've been really, really lucky. I have been successful, I've, but I've been fucking lucky. And I've been a big old liar as well. I'd, I, I got into impressions because I was doing um, another pantomime in um, Hereford and the director said that there was um, a production of Little Voice coming up and I did not want to go back to the stockroom. And so I said, I'm absolutely amazing at impressions. I'm really good. Please, can I audition? And she said, yes, it's in 10 days then. So then I was like, fuck shit, fuck wank. And I had to, excuse my language, it's terrible. And, um, and I learned. And luckily I could sing. So I just, I learned how to, I had a cassette tape of Judy Garland and Marilyn Monroe and all of that. And I would listen to them, then record myself on my dictaphone, play it back. And I managed to do it and I got the job and that's how I got into impressions. Okay. I never meant to do any of this. Okay. So you're, I mean, you, do you feel you have a natural gift for impressions or do you feel you have a gift for blagging it under pressure? What's your... Both. Okay. The blagging it under pressure came first. Did it? Maybe. I, I did do Kate Bush impressions at school and I did impressions of the teachers to make people laugh. That's, that's how I, that was my currency in school, just being a bit of a clown and a bit of okay. an idiot and getting, you know, getting by that way and getting friends. But I would never get invited on the, the holidays to Greece that all the girls would go on, all okay. of the pretty girls. So I would instead go and do a recorder course. Okay. Or a choir course. Uh-huh. <laughs> Such okay. a geek. I was in a recorder club called Oh Blow It. We did competitions and everything. So this is Jess. We'll get right back to this very soon. I've got a couple of little updates for you. Uh, the tour is continuing to sell in a very encouraging way. If you would like to come and see me do stand-up on tour, if you'd like to come and see... Like I Mean It, which was my Edinburgh show from 2017 uh, and was one of the top 20 best-reviewed shows at the Edinburgh Festival, then you can come along at uh, a town near you. Uh, all details available from comedianscomedian.com forward slash tour. And it is so, so exciting to see tickets selling and to know that on this, my third tour, uh, to be fairly confident of having a big load of you turn up and uh, talk to me afterwards and, and be 
part of the crowd and part of the experience. And I think everyone who's come to see it on the basis of enjoying the podcast and enjoying these conversations I had and then taking a punt on me as a stand-up comedian, I've had such positive uh, feedback from you all. I, it, it's great. I'm going to talk a little bit more about at the end of the show about some of the things I have to be thankful for. Um, but uh, if you are one of those people who thinks, hey, he can talk, he can listen, but can he stand up? Come and find out. It's comedianscomedian.com forward slash tour. So get along to that. Uh, thank you for your donations. Uh, I want to say thank you in particular to Robert, Kevin, Danny, Mike and Peter, uh, who all donated this week. And thank you to Alexander as well for a big emotional email, which I will read an extract from at the end of this podcast because it's brilliant and it made me really happy. So listen out to that. And if you are wanting to donate yourself, if you're enjoying the show and you would like to give something back, then you can go to comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate. That's comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate you can support the show with a recurring regular donation of however much you like uh, or you can make a one-off donation or if you don't fancy paypal you can use moon clerk and patreon and all those other things now i wanted to talk very quickly about the facebook group there are over five and a half thousand sort of getting on for six thousand people in that and that is a really good place to talk to other kindred spirits to talk to other members of the the comedians comedian podcast i mean i'm just going to start shortening it to comcom pod now because it's too much of a mouthful um other members of the the comcom community um and you can ask and answer questions such as what are your questions for when james acaster returns that episode's going to be released mid-january and i'm having that conversation with james in a couple of days from now so uh you might not have the chance to get in for that one but you can be in with with a chance of getting one of your questions asked of uh, forthcoming guests in future but also people have been asking each other stuff in a really uh, inspiring and encouraging way someone asked where's the best place to start with maria bamford and some very helpful suggestions there a very good use of the group and um, i linked to a list of the best books for aspiring comedians uh, to which i contributed myself a, a few curveballs and it's a really fun list as well uh, and then someone asked the following question he's writing a paper and he said would you say that lee and herring were part of the lad culture of the 1990s and there was some brilliant really well thought out responses uh, and then somewhere down the list there was a brilliant well thought out response from mr richard herring himself which was lovely to see and really exciting to kind of go there we go there's a quotable source for your essay um, and also, uh, you'll remember the haiku competition from last week's episode, uh, which I will announce the winner of uh, probably next time I speak to you. I'll let that run for a little while longer. Um, and after the mention of haikus on the show, in the Facebook group, David Braziel uh, proffered the following haiku, not as part of the competition, but just for fun. And his is this. In the ice and snow, we turn into Ed Sheeran and walk gingerly. Very nice. I thought it was very nice. Everybody joined in, and there's loads of them up there, of which I, I can't read them all out now, but my favourite is from Tom Davies, and he said, ComComPod is the place I don't get asked to buy mattresses each time. Bang! That is absolutely fantastic. Love your work, Tom, and thank you, David. Love your work also. Um, so, uh, I've mentioned the donors, and I've mentioned, yes, a big emotional email from Alexander, uh, which I will get into at the postamble at the end of this episode. Now, let's get back to Jess Robinson. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. 
Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This moment of going, right, I've committed to an audition for something. I've said that I can do impressions and I've got next to no experience of of doing them. Yeah. Sitting down with a tape recorder and playing stuff back and forth. This is a while ago because probably impressionists now use YouTube. Yeah. In a kind of, I mean, that must be a exactly. gift to an impressionist. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have a laptop or anything. There wasn't a computer in the house or anything. Okay. So you're listening to stuff, playing it back and not just copying it. Well, were you? Were you doing, were you pastiching people when you did the Little Voice audition? No, I was properly trying to do it you know, parrot fashion, learning their voice the way they sang these songs. Okay. And you presumably got the part? Yeah. So, having fallen into all of these things, or sort of a combination of falling into things and then deciding you actually quite like it, Yeah. how do you then come from that to Edinburgh? So... Once I did Little Voice, it so happened that the woman playing my mum was friends with Bill Dare, who was the producer of Dead Ringers. Uh-huh. And she said, why don't you send your tape to Bill? So I sent him a recording of me doing Judy Garland and Marilyn Monroe. And he was like, oh, it's very good, but we don't really have much call for Judy Garland <laughs> on Dead Ringers. <laughs> so, but then I got... I I wrote back and said, oh, well, I do lots of speaking impressions too. It's another fucking lie. Never, never, never. I hadn't even thought about it. Never dreamt of doing anything like that. And then I got an audition to go in and meet him and Caroline Norris, who were working on Dead Ringers. Um, and so then I learned again. I learned Fizz from Coronation Street. I learned Natalie Cassidy from uh, EastEnders. I learned um, some Desperate Housewives and stuff like that. I went in... And they liked it. And then a couple of days later, I got a call from the director saying, can you do uh, The Woman from Desperate Housewives? So I said, yes. And he said, but the only thing is you've got to be able to roller skate. And I went, I'm brilliant at roller skating. That's fine. And, you know, the next day I was at the roller disco with (laughs) a 13 and 14 year old at my local um, sports centre going round and round and getting one of the stewards who was like a spotty 15 year old to tell me how to stop. (laughs) So So again, it's lies, lies, lies. Okay, okay. So you're, what I'm trying to get my head around... (laughs) Is like what when 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 they said we don't have much call for Judy Garland, but actually there's an, there's an audition for someone who can do voices. Yeah, and you said, oh, that's me. Where does that come from? Did you desperately want to do that job? Did you need the money? Were you excited by the idea of performing, of being something on TV or radio? What what was it that led you to to tell these in the end very effective lies? Terrible lies. I think. God, that's a really good question. Um, 
I don't know because I don't think I'm an arrogant person and I'm so, so um, worried all the time about what people think of me. Will people like me? Do they think I've made the right decision? All of that, I'm, you know, really it's quite pathetic. Um, But, and I do know my limits. Like if someone said, could you be a ballet dancer, come and do this, you know, I would say no. I know I couldn't. But I've always just thought, oh, I could probably do that. Yeah, no, I can probably do that. Well, what, how how hard is it to, you know, move around on wheels? I'm sure it'll be fine. So I just said yes and, and just, I don't know, hope for the best. I don't know where it came from. Recklessness, I think. A reckless, a reckless need to please. Well, let's... Let, and prove I'm, myself. I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that. Let's talk about that because I think that forms the, the kind of the genetic makeup of a lot of performers and comics and actors and okay. whoever. This idea of a need to please because... You seem to have a really interesting combination of in, kind of uh, innate ability, talent, or you know, talent, the same thing, maybe skill, mm. and the ability to learn quickly. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. Who knew? And you've got all of these skills, and yet you're, you still feel, it seems, like you, you. Do you feel powerful or do you feel vulnerable? Let's vulnerable. look at it that way. Well, I yeah, okay. How come you feel so vulnerable, given your ability to do the job, to walk out of drama school and get jobs, to be the main part in one thing after another after another, to ace an audition, blag it in the last ten minutes? Like, why do you still feel vulnerable? Because I've, I guess, but this is like everybody, isn't it? I'd feel I can be found out at any second, and it can be taken away, and then what will I be left with? What would you, What would you be left with? Well. I guess I could go to Bristol and do my music degree. Yeah. I don't know, but I've lost all my skills now. I can't even play the violin anymore. Not that I could. But uh, um, I'd, uh, I'm having a nice time. I'm having a lovely time. And I feel so lucky. And um, I just feel like I'm always hanging on by the skin of my teeth. But, you know, flying by the seat of my pants. All those cliches, I think. So... And I just feel like this need to constantly prove myself and make people see that it's okay and I can, I can really do it and isn't it, isn't it good? And, you know, I don't know. Where do you think that comes from? My mother. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Where does it come from? It might come from my childhood. It might come from that, that competitive nature in school where... Even <laughs> when I was um, uh, at my little village school, when we had to dance around the maypole <laughs> by the village ponds and the stocks that were there. Um, uh, I always had to be the boy. So I don't... No, that's not a thing. Shut up. I don't know. I think, what do you mean it's not a thing? Well, I don't know. I never got to... Did you always have to be the boy in the Yeah, I did always have to be the boy. Why? Who made I had brown you be the boy? And I wasn't all pretty and blonde, so I had to be the boy. Um, And then, oh, God, I don't know what I'm saying, really. I'm just gabbling like a twit. I I don't know. And I guess maybe growing up in that atmosphere at school um, where everybody so wanted to be a star and everybody wanted to make it, and I had to really, 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 really work to get noticed and to get... um, 
any credit for what I was doing and to, uh, I don't know, be popular or be included or... I don't know. Maybe it's would that. you Would you send your own hypothetical child to a stage school? <laughs> um, no. I don't think I would. Listen to me, I'm dreadfully neurotic. <laughs> um, I don't know. No, I don't... I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to have children. I think I, I might have a dog, but I'm frightened I'd leave it in a bar. Um, would I send my own hypothetical child to stage call? I, I'm, no. I'm just I going to interrupt so. here because I feel like you... A couple of times you've nearly said something honest or vulnerable Ooh. and then you've made a little joke of it and pulled back. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Let's talk about that because... My audience, this my the people who listen to this, I think one of the reasons they listen to this is they want the real thing. And I think you are, and I it would be it would be lazy to equate this with the fact that you're an impressionist and that you do other people and stuff. You know, one mm. of the things that stand ups that we always get is like, oh, are you secretly miserable? Is it the tears of a clown? Presumably, there's some equivalent cliche for impressionist so we'd be like who is the real you oh do you know what I mean neurotic depressed anxious person definitely okay well can we talk about that because whenever we get close to it you do a little giggle and a little head shake what if I cry or something (laughs) you can cry people have cried on this before (laughs) I know you know I'm not a therapist and this isn't therapy but I I feel like you are holding back from being honest about things and I feel like you are kind of kind of glitzing your way out of a couple of questions. Yes, yeah, probably. Does that does Go that is, does that resonate for you? Do you yeah. think that so what what's that about? Um oh here we go. <laughs> um I think I just want to prove that I'm good enough all the time. I think I didn't feel good enough. Good enough for what? Um, good enough to be where I was or good enough to... I feel like, I guess my childhood, I had a great childhood, don't get me wrong, but um, maybe it was a constant fight to prove myself and to succeed and to... Yeah, I don't know really. To just to, I think I've never been comfortable with who I am, or or I want people to like who I am because maybe I've never quite been comfortable in my own skin. I don't know. I might be making all of this up. Well. When you just said at the end, I might be making all of this up. That's exactly the sort of thing I was talking about. But thank you. Thank you for... I'm not a therapist. I don't want to make you cry for the sake of making you cry. But I am... I think the reason I do this is because I've been through a lot of those things Mm. myself. And I feel like I recognise that aspect of it a bit in you. Mm. And maybe, maybe there is a difference between the the way we do our work, whereby you know stand up comedians we've sort of re- some of us relentlessly self analyze and it's all about bearing your guts on stage. Maybe yeah. in a way that it, maybe it's not fair of me to kind of push you on this stuff because no, it's fine. 
So that feeling of wanting people to know that you're enough, I can definitely relate to that. Mm. Feeling like I've got to do this because if I don't do this, then... It, it, it'll all come crashing down, in air quotes, yeah. in some kind of... I, yeah. I want to do it... I want to do it right. I want people to think that I'm doing it right. I want to... Everything... I think I get exhausted because everything always feels like a constant fight, a constant battle. I'm constantly um, trying to move forward. A battle against the circumstances or a battle against the negative voices that you love? Like, is it a battle against the outside world or is it a battle against the self? It's probably against myself. I just want to prove myself. I don't know what, where that comes from. I don't want to fail and I don't want to give up. But if I could, you know, if there was a cartoon with me, it would be me with boxing gloves on against the whole world, I think. And yet the... Absolutely. I, mean, I completely empathise with that. I... I uh, someone sent me an email in regard to something I said at the end of the last show where I, I finish this show every time with a, um, a bit of a reflection on what I'm up to at the moment, what I'm feeling and thinking. And um, I finished it by saying, oh, I've been a bit anxious uh, recently and uh, I've kind of fallen back into that anxiety. And I finished the, the post-amble by saying, you're not as bad as you think you are. And someone, like to the people listening, and someone emailed and said, thank you, I burst into tears at that <laughs> And I, that made me think that was always a big trigger for me to recognise when I was getting too anxious to function or recognise I was getting depressed, was when any, anyone ever said to me, it's all going to be okay, I'd start crying. Because yeah. then there was some sort of unclenching, there was like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, God, yeah. I'd like that. That feeling of wanting to be enough, it sounds like from you, you sort of see yourself as the little girl with boxing gloves. <laughs> it it feels like from the things you've described happening to you that the world isn't against you. The world is quite happy to sort of welcome you in and give you opportunities yeah, and things like true. that. this is true. I think nothing's fallen in my lap. I think I've had to work hard for stuff. But also there have been really like just weird lucky breaks and big lies as well. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. And that's part, that's one of the boxing gloves, isn't it? Is yeah, definitely. Telling the right lie I at the right time. Yeah, 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 sure. So is there, how is your happiness generally at the moment? Do you, when you get a standing ovation, is that enough? Does that feel like enough? And for how long does that feel like enough? Ha. Um... It feels like enough for maybe <laughs> five, ten minutes, half an hour. Um, until the next show. And then I'm starting again, I guess. Um, how is my happiness? I'm... I always... I like to come across as... <laughs> being extremely happy, bubbly, you know, keep your head down, be lovely to work with, be lovely to everyone, always work hard and all of that sort of stuff. I don't know how happy I am. I think I am. I think there's a big big bit of unhappiness in me, actually. Yeah, actually, yeah. I don't know where it comes from, though. Have you ever have you ever had therapy? Yeah. Therapy. Um I'm on uh Citalopram, which is like an antidepressant, anti-anxiety thing. 
which for me, I, I feel just, it doesn't stop the unhappiness. It just helps me function. I think it's pretty low dose, but um, I like to have it with me. <laughs> um, yeah. I know that you... I shouldn't be unhappy, though, because I've got lovely things in my life, wonderful friends. Shouldn't is a big therapy word, is it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think I absolutely remember that. I should do this. I should do this more. I get that with this podcast. I should I should put more work into it. I should promote. I should do this. I should. I want it to be bigger because I've got a thing now. Yeah. I've got a thing that makes people stand up and clap. And I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> you, know, you know, often in the bath. Or, well, they're walking the dog. But I, I and I, it's a real battle for me to, to let this podcast remain a, uh, a, a joyous thing in my life and not another thing I can turn into a difficult challenge. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. oh, here's a nice thing. How can I turn this against myself? How can I turn this into a stick with which to beat myself? <laughs> does that, I mean, you're laughing at that. Does that, does that resonate with you? Do you think? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I get that. Um, I think I put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, and I'm very... Um, picky about you know what I do I, f- I feel like I'm lazy a lot of the time which is a really weird thing so I'll often think oh, I haven't worked on that voice enough I could do it so much better she does it much better than I do um, or oh, they're going to think I'm copying or you know it, I just worry the whole time that uh, I've been I'm not good enough and I've been lazy by not working hard enough which is silly with my boxing gloves on, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're, I mean, that's it. I suppose the sort of the awful, um, the tension within it is you work really hard and beat yourself up to work really hard. I don't, not you, one. Yeah, yeah. One beats oneself yeah. up to work really hard and then achieves a certain amount of success. And that's like proof that beating yourself up works. Yeah. <laughs> but what if I stop beating myself up I won't have the nice opportunities and exciting jobs and you know yeah big lighting backdrops and you know the rest of the it is fun though I mean the performing is wonderful it's super fun most of the time (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about the thing at which you really excel let's talk about the voices and the songs and the rhythm and the flow and mm. the making it all work you said then and it is this does slightly come back to it but you said then that you see other people who do that sort of thing and go oh why can't i do it like them what to you makes a brilliant impression or a characterization what is it um for me it's picking up on the nuances the funny things that when someone that doesn't do that sort of thing can can look at it and go, oh my God, that's so funny. Yeah, she does do that. Like just picking up on those little hooks. As with the Nicola Sturgeon, she's got this slightly wobbly head. Or um, with, um, I don't know, like the facial expressions that Nicki Minaj does. Or um, the, 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 the with Bjork, the... That her voice. I've is never just... heard your Bjork. Can you? So I've read in lots of reviews have mentioned your Bjork, and I've never actually heard you do Bjork. So Bjork has got this sort of 
we've got the, the ice. It's all so quiet. All of that sort of stuff. But she's got this hootie way of singing. And then this whaley thing. <laughs> like, it's all of these different things in her voice, which is just makes... I sound like I'm being murdered. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've been listening to lots of Bjork recently. I'm doing some music videos at the moment. I've It's just a little project that I've decided to do where um, I'm going to do some videos where with some unlikely duets between people so I've got Bjork and Lady Gaga collaborating I've got uh Kate Bush and Gaga um Nicki Minaj and Billie Holiday um yeah lots of lots of and I'm just going to release them slowly and you know film it with split screen and fun things like that which has just been a really exciting fun little project just because I feel like I need more stuff out there on YouTube everyone's on YouTube and I don't have much stuff out there so yeah, so and um so listening to Bjork and I just I love her. She's so weird. It sounds to me like what you're going for with the impressions is basically it's observational comedy, isn't it? It's noticing yeah. things that people haven't noticed that they've noticed. Exactly. So, you know what I mean? That's so exactly so when right. you do it, the audience goes, Oh I didn't even Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, of course like, she does that, yeah. Okay. So you are you're an observational comic. Am I? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I Can think I have you a certificate? Yeah, yeah. There is no certificate. I really want some certificates on my wall, please. If there is a certificate, it comes with like a debt of five grand. <laughs> You're in the gang now. Um, so yeah, I guess so. That's interesting. I'd never thought of that. Yeah, I think I think that's true. So you take those observations and then you put them in a form which allows you to bounce from one observation to another. Yeah. So it's effectively, it's, you know, it's not a million miles away from a Michael McIntyre bit about a man draw where you go, there's this thing and here's an idea about it and yeah. here's an idea about it. But you're also doing it, in inverted commas, backwards and in high heels, aren't you? You know, you're also yeah, singing. Yeah. So there's a kind of an underlying... With me, the singing from when I was, I don't know, just all my life, but but particularly, I guess, from about nine or ten when I had started having singing lessons. Singing is the best thing in the world. That is the thing that I love, 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 love the most. I like getting laughs as well. I love getting laughs. But singing just makes me feel alive. I love it so much. I mean, I have to say, someone asked me years ago, what, what superpower would you have? We were having this conversation. I thought, I think I'd like to be able to sing really brilliantly. <laughs> I don't know what, you could fly. And I'm like, they say, you could learn to sing. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to have to learn to sing. I just, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm singing in the shower. I'll sing to my son, you know. And I, I know I'm bad. I can see my wife wincing and I don't understand what a key is and all that. You know what I mean? It's sort of disastrous. I had some, some key negative learning experiences as a kid about my ability or otherwise to sing. But I, I love it. And that idea of being able of like having your whole body like a tuning fork where you just like everything resonates. Yeah. And pow. Like yeah. That. And that's and I think people obviously in your audiences respond enormously yeah. to that because it's a really primal kind of a thing. When you are building a show. Yeah. When you have those big ideas like the like YouTube stuff, kind of split screen stuff. I remember you did um at this this Waverly Care show we did, you did, uh, is it One Voice? Yeah. Or was it My Voice or One, one, one Voice? One Voice. And then at the end, this is the sound of My Voice. Yes. Yeah. Just describe to us what that is and let's look at how that came to be. So it was actually my lovely musical director, um, Alex Silverman, who found this beautiful folk song by, I think they're called the Spinning Jennies. 
Um, and it's this is the sound of one voice, and it's just one voice singing. And then another voice joins. This is the sound of voices too. The sound of me singing with you. And then there's an, the third verse is this is the sound of voices three singing together in harmony. Um, and then the fourth verse, fourth verse, fourth verse is this is the sound of all of us uh, singing together or something with the will to trust and then it goes back to one voice and Alex said why don't you do that in your own voice and say this is the sound of my voice so and so the way we adapted it was we had Billie Holiday singing the first verse this is the sound of one voice the sound of one who makes a choice and then the second verse was I think we joined by uh, with Amy Winehouse this is the sound of voices too and we had Billie Holiday singing in harmony with her so it was gorgeous and then Kate Bush joined in on verse three this is the sound of voices three like all silly and squeaky um we added a bit of Catherine Jenkins in there for a bit of opera and then Beyonce joined in and it just swelled to this massive thing. So I was singing in harmony with myself and in my ultimate girl band, basically, of my, all my favourite voices. And then it just dropped down to just piano and me. This is the sound of my voice. And it would always choke me up because it felt really vulnerable. And what... When you say it felt really vulnerable, you mean specifically the bit at the end? Yeah. Just your voice? Yeah. Because it is, I mean, it's it's like a, a brilliant musical version of that um, Mike Yarwood and This Is Me. Yeah. Do you remember, like, yeah. I, I, and I, I don't know if I ever saw that, but I'm aware that it exists yes, as a thing. exactly. He'd do, his, he'd do a load of impressions and then he'd say, This Is Me. Yeah. So that, so that vulnerability of just singing as yourself, does that feel qualitatively different on stage to be singing yeah. as you? yeah. Really, really does. Mum's always go, why don't you sing in your own voice? <laughs> she hates the impression. She'd much rather I just sung in my own voice for a whole concert or something. And maybe I will one day, who knows. I, I love singing in my own voice, but I don't think, like, I just don't think it's very distinctive, very special. Mum would disagree. Um, well, I, it's it's certainly not going to have the reaction as ripping out a brilliant Billie Holiday. No. Because that that has kind of... It's, you're clearly singing brilliantly and there's this other quality yeah, to it. Yeah, exactly. So I suppose my question is, do you... Like, in terms of whether you'd want to do an hour of, of just your voice, is your successful ability to mimic other people's voices something of a cage? Yeah. Yeah, in a way it is. Yeah, it is. Um, I don't know who'd turn up to hear me just singing on my own. Although I would really love to do that one day, you know, with all of these, even if I just listen to a Kate Bush album or I really love Leanne Le Havas or I just, I get really inspired and think, oh, I could just be a pop star or not yeah. a pop star, but you know what I mean? Just, just be a musical artist in my own right. And would that ever happen? And who would come and see it? But I couldn't, but yeah. Well, so, talk to me about that because you, you are undoubtedly an artist in that you like we've said you're kind of you're making observations about people's voices you're using your own ear as well as the being able to play the instrument of your voice mm. incredibly well but I am I am interested in like I because I'm not a musician and I don't understand how it works when you play an existing piece of material like a cover 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. do you, that, that has a satisfaction in itself, but I always imagine someone, like, you know, a busker playing a Bob Dylan number. Yeah. Is that busker thinking, I'd love to be the person rather than the person covering the person? Yeah. I think everybody wants to be the person. I'd like to be the person. I'd like to, yeah. Because I've never, I've, I've never had an impressionist on the show before, and that's only just occurred to me that aspect of yeah. You've na- naturally, the job of an impressionist is to, to be all the other people, mimic more successful people in much the same way as the job of a podcaster is. Like no one, <laughs> <laughs> no, no one. Do you know what I mean? No one goes into podcasting because it's all going so well. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like it's a thing you do as an additional, like you know, yeah. you have time to do it yeah. because you're not doing massive stratospheric uh, stuff. I. I... I'd like to be the person one day, yeah. And how would you... I like think I've it, always wanted to be the person and that's what I've probably always been fighting against, isn't it? So to come back to that idea of the divorce show, that seems like that's the... Was that scratching that itch? Was that the beginning of a process of like, maybe. actually, this is me being the person? Yeah, maybe. And what you said at the beginning was you could have gone further, but you didn't. Do you need to go further in order to be the person? Yeah, maybe. But who's it for? It's for me, not for the audience. They don't want to see that. They just they want to be entertained with Shirley Bassey rapping and things like that. Which <laughs> well, is like, don't get me wrong, that is fun. They don't want to see that. Says who? But then I've I don't know. Uh, but it could be so indulgent and awful and cringy and dreadful and they'll be like, what are you doing? We just do the impressions. We came for the impressions. I don't want to hear you talking about, I don't know, mental health or your thighs. <laughs> also, I've always thought the impressions and certainly the singing impressions are what set me apart. Yeah. That's my USP. Yeah. So why on earth would I go out and talk about other stuff that other people are talking about just to make me feel better. I can do that with you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, yeah, good. Good answer. I mean, I, I, I think that is... I mean, I might do that on Life Stories one day with Piers Morgan, you know. <laughs> Although I'd rather not be in the same room as him. <laughs> I think the... Yeah, I don't know. It's funny because I don't think it's up to, it's not up to me to make pronouncements about but go on. people's work. But I just, I do think that's interesting that you, I think there is a tension at, in at the heart of, the heart of all performers, not just you, but mm. I think in the terms of the conversation we're having here, I feel like there's a tension at the heart of what you do where you want to be, oh, I don't know, I don't know. Go on. You, would you, well, what do you think I'm going to say? That you want to be the star, you want to be the one. But it is, I'm just, no, not, not specifically that. It's just that it's, it's fascinating to me that you are the star and yet you are not the star because you're, <laughs> do you know what I mean? That's yeah. fascinating to me. Yeah. Not in a way that you need to do anything about, or, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, but I am interested in, in what that feels like to be raising the roof, getting a standing ovation, brilliantly taking off. Mm. an existing thing. Yeah, Because Because when I tell a joke, 
it's my joke. Yeah. And when they like it, they like my performance of my joke. Yeah. And with you, it's not that it's different to that. They're loving your performance of your take on, you know, it's still your your work, it's your observations of the person. But it's about someone else, But isn't it, it? there is someone else at the heart of it. Yeah. I mean, I get, yeah, I, I, I absolutely, I think about that a lot, actually. Sometimes I think, well, to all intents and purposes, I'm a tribute act, aren't I? If I, if I'm oh, not... that, I mean, like, I, I see where you could come from. That I like, I can't, I don't want to agree with that because that to me sounds like the Jess who's hitting herself with a stick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't want to agree with that version of you. But it is interesting to hear if that. If I that's... don't do something different, if I don't mix it up or raise the bar or um, have something to say, then what? Yeah. I think I need to do that for my own. I don't know, yeah, for my own peace of mind, maybe. That sounds a bit daft, really. So do you need, in order to achieve the happiness that you want and the career that you want, do you need to always be changing it up? Every year, say it's a year at Edinburgh or a year at Vegas or wherever it is, <laughs> do you always need to be changing it? And does that, does that um, is that daunting to think that, there is a a lifetime's worth of reinvention and constant reinvention ahead of you. Yeah, that is daunting. That is very daunting. And I I think, when will I know when it's enough? Because it's exhausting. It feels like it, it doesn't stop moving. Like, I've got the thing that I do. That's what I do for now. But, it yeah, it never stops being a challenge or... If I do, if I, <laughs> if I do, um, like there's, there's a little, a section, a little sort of opening medley of lots of impressions and things I do. And I've been doing it for maybe three years just cause it's great. Pull it out at corporates. Everyone loves it. You know, it's a great way of introducing who I am, what I do, but it feels so lazy now cause it's second nature to me. It doesn't feel, you know, and I think, oh God. I feel like an old fraud. I feel like an old hat type thing. Yes, I mean that that constantly that that thing. I completely agree. With. I've got bits that I do. I go, oh, I'm doing that again. But why not? They, it's new. They've never heard it. It's new to them. Yeah, it works really well. Yeah, Morecambe and Wise did the same five yeah. minutes for thirty years before yeah. I got on telly or twenty years or whatever it was. You know, it's it's new. It's new to mm. them. But I know at the same time that. Uh, that I completely see it from inside, you know, from the performer's point of view. It's like, oh, God, is, is there going to be someone at the back of the room who's seen me do this 20 times? And you know. Yeah, absolutely. You can just sing along. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Last thing that I wanted to ask about. Thank you. I've really enjoyed this. Okay, good. Have I lived up to everybody else? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it, I may as well uh, say this now, but... Uh, I I hope we've managed to cut the worst of it, but I have got the most rumbly tummy I've ever had. I was eating shreddies as you came in, and I was like, oh, I better get these finished. So um, I can only apologise that with some of some really silent silences in this interview, which is always what we're after, some really good, I really feel like you went there, and I really appreciate it, and I'm only sorry that in the background, I hope none of the, none of the audience can hear a kind of... I think your stomach was just being empathetic. Yeah, maybe it was, but I'm, I'm an empathetic guy. Um, so it is, I think for someone in your position, someone who has got big punchy, uh, 
skill, big punchy talent as a kind of a base, it would be easy for you to to do those little get outs, you know, in a in a kind of interview thing. You just go, oh, you know, oh, I'm such a wanker, you know. And you go, actually, who are you really? And I think you've 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 got into that quite honestly, and I appreciate that. Okay. The last thing I want to talk about is perhaps related to that. I I am proud not to have known until an hour before you came over that you'd done Britain's Got Talent. I don't engage with that world at all. It don't to me. It's like reviews. It's like a whole other thing. Yeah. So, an hour before you, an hour and a half before you arrived this morning, I was like, oh, I just um, what's that other? Did someone say she's been in blah blah blah? Oh shit! You're on Britain's Got Talent. So I watched your audition. Yeah. And. There seemed to me from the small amount of uh, digging that I did, not hardly digging, um, that there was an issue with your Britain's Got Talent experience. Ugh. Can you can we talk about that? Because yeah, we can I talk would about love it. to know what that feels like from the inside. Yeah. So, so tell us what happened. Um I think I'd been scouted by them for about four years or something, and I'd always gone no. I'm not doing that. I want to do it the old-fashioned way. I didn't really watch BGT very much. And um, I just... I was very, very against doing it. I just didn't want to. And I think it almost... It drove me to do my first Edinburgh. Because I thought, no, 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 this isn't the way I want to, you know, want to do it the proper way. Um, And then last year... Um, they came to us again and just, you know, sat down and said, look, it will be really collaborative. It will be really um, a lovely experience. You'll have fun. We'll work with you um, if you get through. Um, and, um, And I thought about it for a long time and I discussed it with my manager and people like that. And it was all, you know, completely up to me. And in the end, I thought, why not? I'm going to do it. It will open me up to a whole new audience. Might sell more tickets for Edinburgh. Um, there's no other platform like it to show what I do and come on what I do is kind of mainstream. And, you know, maybe it will be amazing and I'll go down really well and, you know, it will give me a massive, massive boost. Um, uh, it is the most nerve-wracking thing I have ever done. From sitting there, um, I think we were there from twelve hour for twelve hour from nine till nine. Nine o'clock in the evening is when I went on, and we were waiting in a holding room full of all these mad characters. I mean, it was like being in a weird sort of merry-go-round dream or something. It was so odd. And I was sitting next to um, a bloke, a singing telegram dressed as Robin Hood, who offered me his card and said, "Would well, I like to be a Shirley Bassey singing telegram?" <laughs> There's really always weird. that. There's always Thank that. Um um and there were dog acts, real dog acts, and like it was just weird. It was weird. And all day you're being interviewed and they're saying, um, so on a on a scale of one to ten, how nervous are you? Are you nervous? Can you just say that you're quite nervous? Okay, so you're nervous, are you? Or can you just um sit there? Just we're just gonna film you for a bit. Can you just look a bit nervous? And fuck me, it made me really nervous. So by the time I went on, and and you're being filmed pacing up and down, you're being filmed, you know, constantly, and 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 being uh, you're talking to other contestants, and the cameras are on you all day, all day, all day, and then you go on a coach to the Royal, the, the London Palladium, 
I've never sung in front of that many people before, performed in, in front of that many people. And um, suddenly Anton Deck are there and they're like, okay, let's go. And they're not from Yorkshire. Um, <laughs> and, um, uh, and you're like, what now? now? So I wasn't even ready. I mean, after all of that long time, you didn't know that. It, and then you're just, you walk out on stage and, you know, you walk out and David Williams has his back to you, just talking to the audience. Simon's drinking his coffee. You know, Amanda's scratching her head and, and you just stand there and it's like going into the lion's den. It is really, really terrifying. And I did not think ever that I would be as nervous as that. I just didn't. And I was totally... Like, I'm embarrassed by how nervous I was. Um, and they asked me lots of questions, quite a long interview, um, which they cut down to their favourite moments. That's all I'll say about that. And then um, and then I performed, and then there was this enormous standing ovation from 2,000 people in the London Palladium, and I, I just nearly cried. It was so overwhelming and wonderful. And when I went off, I felt so low. Because? I thought I'd done a really crappy performance. <laughs> I thought that, you know, the nerves had really got in the way and I thought I'd done a really crappy performance. But I also, I don't know. Why did I feel so low? I felt, I felt really shit. I felt shocking for the next few days, actually. Um... Maybe it was just really overwhelming. There's a little part, there's a tiny voice in my head that wants to say, oh, maybe I had sold out type thing, but I don't think it is that. I think it was just that massive whoosh of, I don't know, of adulation and I was knackered and it was just a, just the most intense experience. I and I felt very, very, very vulnerable. Yeah. I mean, it is one of the... It's the deal with the devil doing a show like that, isn't 100%. it? Because as, as a performer, as a, an experienced professional, we all know, and I, I would imagine that most people listening to this will be aware of the kind of the behind-the-scenes culture of Britain's Got yeah. Talent, whereby yeah. uh, it seems like uh, every couple of months, someone I know on Facebook who's a professional performer will go, bloody hell, I've just been asked to do Britain's Got Talent. And then there'll yeah. be this huge debate raging underneath it between professional performers under the post going, absolutely don't do that, don't do that. Yeah. And then, you know, their family members and friends outside the industry going, oh, go on, could be a really great sort of thing, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, it, and it seems to me, well, I mean, I, I, I understand that this is the kind of the behind-the-scenes culture of it, um, is that pros are kind of courted and they say, oh, we'll put you straight in the semis and you can do this, that. You didn't do you know say I mean? that to me. Fine, OK. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, but that is, I think, that, you know, people have... I've certainly got friends who've kind of taken a photo of the letter and put that on Facebook and said, oh, hey, wow. look, they're th they're offering me straight through to the semis. Oh, and they're wow. Gonna yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, Why didn't they do that for me? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I guess it, I guess it is to do with... I don't know what it's to do with. It's to do with people's, either someone standing in the industry, their level of experience, how f maybe it's to do with the producers and how far they think you'll get or whether yeah. they would rather you, whether it's about negotiating. Maybe if they say, come and do it, mm -hmm. and you go, well, I'm not, I'm not going to sit in a queue and audition. They go, ah, oh, you don't have to do that. But maybe if you don't say that, then mm. you sit in a queue and audition. Who knows? Mm. Um, but 
I think it, that thing of it being a deal with the devil is like for the first time, perhaps, in your performing life, you give up all creative control. Yeah. You give up editorial control. Yeah. I had a friend who did... Um, uh, he's a circus performer. He did Australia's Got Talent mm-hmm. a few years ago, and he did fine. And they, then he dropped one of his props, and he's got a joke about he's juggling fire. He's got a joke about when he juggles fire and he drops something. Um, and they cut the joke and cut to an audience booing a different act yeah. and edited that together yeah. so it looked like he'd had this terrible show. And it's just a lie, and, you, you know, that goes out to quadrillions of people. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, I was very, very, very frightened about that. Yeah. So, but that's the deal, isn't it? Because if you can put up with that, and and if you can give up that control, and they're nice to you, and it works, and you, you have a good gig, and they thing, then maybe the result, you know, maybe the benefits could be enormous. Mm. Best case scenario, you win. It launches this mm. whole other. Yeah, I did. I um in my audition at the, like the one that they showed the first audition. Um, I did Adele and um, Simon said that is the worst Adele impression I've ever heard so I was really scared that and then they cut that bit out and they cut out lots and lots and lots of the act and then for the semi-finals we oh my god from like February until the day before I was supposed to go on the act was changing every two seconds changing 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 and um, I was going to do uh, a bit of Jesse J doing Bang Bang, and then the Manchester bombings happened, and I and oh yeah, of course. I just thought I you know um, can't do it, yeah. can't do it, and they were going no, it'll be fine, <laughs> it'll be fine. No, we with no stake in your career whatsoever yeah. think it'll be fine. <laughs> so I, I think I, you know, and and there was the conversation was uh, well if. if if Twitter explodes about this, oh no, I shouldn't have said that. But you know, if, sure, if Twitter sure, goes sure. mental, yeah. what what will you defend, Jess? No, you know. So so then my act completely changed again, and um, they really wanted me to do Adele, and I was saying no, but Simon didn't like it the first time, so I don't want to do it. And they were going, no, he won't remember. He doesn't remember what you had for lunch. You know, it's all fine. Blah blah blah. And I did it, and of course Simon hated it and slated it on the live semi-finals and I felt like a right prat. Um, but I'm, I don't know. I, I still replay it in my head and wish that I'd done something else for the, for the semi-finals and wonder if I could have got through to the finals. I'm still replaying it all the time. Isn't that infuriating I'm t- that they treat you like it. shit and then you're, such a people pleaser, you're thinking, how can I have pleased them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that awful? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But um, they were, I mean, individually, they were all, they were lovely. What I didn't take into account, and I should have, it was naive of me, but um, it's about their TV shows, not about your act or making you look good or you know, helping you or giving you a leg up. It's not about any of that. It's about making a brilliant, entertaining TV show for the people that watch BGT. So you're just a pawn. And it's and it's how you use that afterwards. And and luckily and brilliantly, I've got a lovely, lovely manager who's like a big sister to me. And, and she had lovely meetings set up and things like that. And it's opened doors for me with, you know, just meeting producers and directors that I n- wouldn't have got this time okay, last year, good. just wouldn't have, um, because it's raised my profile. 
but it, it was it was terrifying and I came home from the semi-finals and I just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed I felt humiliated and I felt ashamed and I felt dirty (laughs) I felt felt awful I was just horrible and you know for the next few days I was just like a bit of a zombie yeah it was really just emotionally exhausting and upsetting and depressing and gross and I felt like through all of that I should have just been my I didn't come across the way I wanted to come across I didn't you know I that can anyone come across the way they want to come across I don't know Probably not, because you're not in control of it, are you? But it is peculiar. It's very weird to me seeing in the last few years. I I feel like five years ago, uh, if you were a person on the comedy circuit and you went on Britain's Got Talent, you were a bit of an outcast. Well, that's how I feel. Like, I'm worried about that, how people, what people will think. But I think it has changed within the last five years, whereby people regard it as a thing you can do now. If you look at Joel Domit doing I'm a Celebrity, when he went in... Everyone yeah. went, oh, Christ, Domit's fucked himself. What's he going to do? And then he came out and he came, whatever, he came second or something. Yeah, he did now really well. Now he's got half a million Instagram yeah. followers, whatever. And, and suddenly he did brilliantly well, on did, it. Absolutely. Oh, my God. So Deliso did great. Um, he but... was so chilled. Yes, yeah. Backstage, he was just chilled. I was worrying about what shoes they were going to put me in and all of that. He was chilled. He was. I said, are you all right? Are they changing your act as well? And he was like, yeah, they're changing it. It's fine. He yeah. just went out and smashed it. I was just, I was in awe of him. Some people are kind of, people, everyone responds to pressure differently. Um, I've, I've had Delisa on the show that you know, a couple of years ago before, yeah. before we sort of got into it. I'd, I'd be interested to talk to him about it now because it is, it's such a risk. It's yeah. such a risk. Yeah. And then the other thing that I think happened was there was, there were, I don't know how much of a real thing it was. You know, when, when awful online newspapers take three tweets and go, there's an outcry. And you yes. go, is there an outcry or have you just created yes. an outcry? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. you know. And I think people, I think when pros go on Britain's Got Talent or mm. equivalent shows, mm. there is a sort of a tightrope that one has to walk yeah. whereby everyone knows you're a professional but they've invited you on the show, so you're allowed to be there. And then yeah. the audience kind of go, hey, what's Hang this? On She's a, a professional. I'm calling her out. I saw her Edinburgh show two years ago. Yeah. Or... Hang on a minute. Like yeah. she's a ringer. Do you know what I mean? Like she's like they think you know. They, wait a minute. She's a, she's a, she's a fake. She's a phony because actually she's already a professional performer. Yeah. You go. All of these people are aren't they? Unless they're you know crazy chicken Absolutely. guy. Or, <laughs> you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. So how did that feel? Um, that was horrible. I mean, was it? I was sort of. I was worried that that that, that would happen, but I just thought you know, it surely it'll be okay if if they've invited me to go it's and audition. It's not like you lied to the producers. No. And I said on stage as well, I'm a performer. I don't know whether they cut that bit out. I don't know. You know, they, whatever, they they, they make their TV show and they edit it in their way. But I've been, I think I said I've been plugging away for years. I've been, you know, I've taken my show to yeah, Edinburgh. I've see lost some they money. Wouldn't, I've... They wouldn't want to include you saying I've been plugging away for years because that doesn't fit their narrative of having discovered you. No. Yeah. Yeah, see, yeah. So when that happens, if they discovered you and then it turns out you're a phony, it's not them that get attacked for it, it's you. Yeah. 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 It was a bit shit. It, was a, it wasn't It was nice. Um, and then I had to go and do 
interviews and videos saying I've been plugging away for years and, um, you know, I, I've lost money in Edinburgh and things like that. And that suddenly becomes a big story. But everybody's lost money in Edinburgh. Yeah, That's right. what you do. Yeah. So, you know, it's there's like a story I've been... I've be, I've lost four thousand pounds or something. I think yeah. people have lost more than that. I think probably Georgia. had a lucky escape. Yeah. Um, yeah, but backlash, BGT backlash, <laughs> and then there was stuff that came out about. There's them. a good name for an Edinburgh show. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Sell yeah. Some tickets. Yeah. And then what? Sorry, there's some stuff that came out about. Oh, about you know, I think my the the photographer for our wedding um, sold some pictures to the sun. I was like, Oh, you douchebag. Oh, mate. But that, that's all part of the deal, isn't it? Yeah. And I think this, if, if something can be useful, like obviously this has been useful to you in some ways, you can get, you maybe got access to meetings you wouldn't have had before. Yeah. And you're in the position whereby you're not some, you know, barking mad person off the street. Yeah. You've got like, like Joel was in that position of going, Oh, now I can, I'm already on tour. Now I can just quadruple, yeah. you know, times by ten. I don't think I disgraced myself. Absolutely but I don't, not. I, yeah, I have really, really mixed feelings about it. I think if I hadn't done it, I would have wondered always what would have happened if I had. Okay. And I thought maybe I can be different, and maybe I can get through to the finals, and people can just see me and sure. love me, and it will be wonderful. Um, and also, I just think oh, I wish I, I wish I hadn't done that act. I wish I'd done a different one. Or, sure. You know, sure. I'm still beating myself up about that, and it was in June. I hope that people listen to this or link to it when that conversation goes on on Facebook between, you know, this is this is the, ins, you know, like to, to hear an inside perspective of how much you, how much control you surrender and how much, yes, yeah, suddenly that, that might be part of it. Your wedding photographer might sell your photos. Yeah. If you walk through door A. Yeah. That could happen. That's right. It, horrible. My ex-mother-in-law was doorstepped by some photographers, God knows, oh, and, and journalists, God knows how they found out where she lived or anything, but they they did that before my first audition aired. And that's how that's she how and my ex found out that I was going on Britain's Got Talent, and I think my ex was probably shitting himself because he was worried about other things coming out, which they didn't. And, and um, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't just my life that it affected, it was... Everything, everyone, my poor dad, just, just, you know, just going down to the village shop and there was, um, oh, clickbait, clickbait's good, isn't it? Ra- Jess Robinson in raunchy dot 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 circus act. Yeah, and everyone just <laughs> got me wearing a red dress. It was yeah. fine, but um, uh, yeah, nothing raunchy about any of it. But I think my dad found it quite alarming. To have his daughter in the papers, just just anywhere. I think he found it quite weird and sick and not nice, and it was quite you know, it was probably more stressful and more upsetting than the breakup in some ways. That whole experience. God, it's not for the faint-hearted, and I still don't. I think I'm glad that I did it. I think I am because it's paying off career-wise, and hopefully I'll sell some tickets for my tour and hopefully, you know, it will help me have a leg up. I don't know. I feel funny about it still. So to wrap up then, your <laughs> tour. <laughs> yes. What can we expect from your tour? Where when, Are you touring now or are you touring early next year? When do you, when do you spring. start? Spring, yeah. Spring. Start in the spring. Um, it's just me. Um 
with some uh, incredible tracks made by the wonderful Lawrence Owen, who she's had on this show, musical comedian. Um, it's called Here Come the Girls, and it's... A great title. Thank you. <laughs> it's a great title for a one-woman show. Yeah. I've got... Um, I've got basically I've got four years worth of material from all my Edinburgh shows and all of that that I can choose the best of and just go out there and entertain people and it'll be a bit scary to just be on my Todd actually it'll be a learning curve for me um but I'm really really looking forward to it it's just going to be good and you know fun time celebratory stupid and um a warm night that you, it's safe to bring your parents to. I won't say fuck or bugger. <laughs> it's for everyone, really. Um, yeah, and a bit about sort of what what makes my mind work, and probably not quite as in depth as this, but um, yeah. So, what do you want? I want to be a contestant on Strictly Come Dancing one day. <laughs> <laughs> she says after talking about the horrors of BGT now um, what do I want I I'd love to have my own show one day on TV um, where I can be a bit of a Bruce Forsyth a bit of a Cilla Black a bit of a all round entertainer ha- have celebrities on um, and interview them and do a little bit of a double act with them and do some songs and some entertaining maybe some pranks things like that I'd love that that's a pretty specific goal that's great is it? yeah well we'll see if it happens it won't um, get out and uh, drink, <laughs> drink, drink now drink now um, oh. I want a dog that can come on tour with me and maybe sit under the piano. That's an achievable dream. But I think it will steal the limelight. Um, what I really, 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 really want, I guess, is to feel like I've done it right. And I've been a good girl. <laughs> I really want to just feel um, content with myself. And like, I'm, I don't know, one day, that would be nice, that I can just sit back and enjoy the ride rather than keep fighting. That is, that's great to hear. And I have a similar desire for my own career, for my own practice. But I practice. That may be the most pretentious thing I've ever said. Yeah, like um, yoga. Yeah. <laughs> Don't compare your practice to anyone else's. It's your practice. Is that oh, right? Is that right? Oh, yeah. that's a yoga thing. Actually, okay. I do like yoga. That's that's been happening quite okay. a lot recently. That helps. Okay. Um, I I find myself also. I also find myself thinking, oh, it'll be good when this is all done, and yeah. I can look back on it. Yeah. Is that healthy? No, because, no <laughs> because... it's not. Because we're missing it all now, aren't we? Well, we're not missing it. We're participating it. But I think... Oh, my God. Participating, majating. A lot. What does that even mean? It means, like, (laughs) participating to such a degree that you're almost missing it. That you can't appreciate it while it's all happening. I should be just being really pleased with myself right now. (laughs) And just, you know, patting myself on the back and going to have a hot chocolate. 
Because otherwise, no. when does that moment happen? I don't of know. Going, of like, I mean, I sort of, mm, I'd see myself in a small retirement place, aged <laughs> 80 and famous, and <laughs> with the life of Barry Cryer. Yeah, lovely Barry. Lovely that Barry. you could go, right, Barry, he's sort of in his house with his wife, and they've got all their, you know, he's got all his accolades, all his lovely photos and things on the wall of all these people he's worked with and stuff, and he can finally sit and ruminate. I bet he's not feeling like that yet, is he? I don't know. Do I him. don't think I asked Do him. him. I've done him. Then. I've done him, but oh. I don't think I asked that. Um, it would have seemed impertinent, dear Baz. <laughs> but I, yeah, I wonder. I wonder if that's a real thing, or is it just a fleeting thing that every so often you're in Cheveley services and you just have a moment of thinking. Oh, this is going all right. Is that, is, that, is that all we're recorded? Please not in a service station. I don't know. I feel like I'm still at the beginning. I feel like there's still so much to do and achieve. Yeah. But I don't know when I... When will I know? When will you know? That's what my, my therapist... What do you want? How How will you get it? When will you know when you have it? That's what I do. do <laughs> That's what I ask people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only I, I haven't done any training. <laughs> wow, do it. I should, probably don't need to. When will you know? Yeah, that's how. That's how kind will of you know I'm when you have it? it? I don't. How will you know when you have it? I'll be in a lovely house with my dog. I don't know. Will all the people how be pleased I... enough one day? Yeah. No, there are always going to be people that won't like me. There are always going to be people I can't please and I can't make like me. Yeah, and you have to be okay with that. Yeah, that's the next bit. That's the next. That's the next stew wisdom that I need to carry with me for the next four years. (laughs) Come back and tell you how I've done. This has become far too much about me. (laughs) (laughs) Come back and tell me how you've done. Thanks a lot, Jess. Thank you. Thank you, Jess. I really appreciate your honesty. I really enjoyed that conversation. And if you would like to see the brilliant Jess Robinson on tour uh, or anywhere else, you can get in touch with her at Jessie Robinson on Twitter. That's J-E-S-S-I-E, Jessie Robinson on Twitter. And Jess's website, jessrobinson.co.uk, is linked in the show notes to this episode. You can find out more about her and her tour do yourself a favour and go along and see her. She's very good, very good, uh, recorded stuff online. Go and see her live. You will weep with joy and hilarity and in just wild appreciation of her really amazing talent. So thanks to Jess for coming along. Thank you to Nathan Wood for your editing skills. Thanks to Matt Hoss for some terrific logging for this episode. Um, and I think that's all the thank yous officially. I'm going to... I'm going to leave it there for now. I will be back. Uh, I'll do a little post amble in a minute, but let's conclude the podcast with this. We will be back uh, with James Acaster in the middle of January. I'm going on honeymoon, so uh, we're going to skip a few episodes over January, um, but there will be a, a galumphing great James Acaster episode. I think we've got time and plenty to talk about, so it might even be a double. We'll have to see. That is coming up. Uh, so look out for that. If you would like to stick around for a little Christmas message from me and the Boutros, uh, you can hear that in the postamble in just a moment. But for now, happy Christmas to you, and that concludes the podcast.
donate at comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate and find out about the tour at comedianscomedian.com forward slash tour. Speak to you soon. So here we go. I just wanted to quickly read this because, uh, well, I'm just going to quickly read this and you'll see why. So this is an email I got from someone called Alexander, who I mentioned in the last episode. I thanked a few people for donating to the show, and he this is, a, this is an abridged version of his email. He writes, I heard my name mentioned in your latest episode where you thanked people, and this is going to sound corny, but I welled up with tears and had to pause the podcast. It was a reference to, he goes on to talk about the Sarah Kendall interview. He says, that, I'm talking about that stuff. I'm talking about that odd mix of laughing and crying at the same time about mental pain, about values in life, the frustration of living in this world, the oddness we feel as humans, and how, very often, the funny tips the balance and you can keep going because you think keep going is a better option all of a sudden. I won't trouble you with the details, but you made a lot of wonderful difference to me and my closest just by doing what you do, and I appreciate it so much. When you mentioned my name, it felt like a callback to all of that, like an exchange of gratitude and appreciation between two best friends. No, no, I know the reality of it, he says. No need to look out between curtains for creepy stalkers. Thank you. I'm just talking about an odd psychological sphere of connection that was wonderful and almost a bit reassuring, calming, milestoney. not sure. I felt connected to a virtual friend I knew had a manifestation on the other side of the planet far, far away. And isn't technology wonderful? And isn't this modern age of talking about emotions awesome? And besides all the shit that's happening in the world and all the revelations of just how shitty we humans can be to each other and the selfish nature we very often wrap ourselves in, isn't this just a two-second digital flare of hope and kindness, a glimmer of goodness? I'm one of many who probably keep thinking they should donate as soon as I get a spare moment. I simply got a spare moment. So thank you, Stu. I love what you do, love the show, good luck with your upcoming stuff, and keep asking if they're happy, as long as you don't ask me. Now, thank you. I was reading that. You know you're always sort of wandering around the house looking at your phone idly, (laughs) behind your child's back, trying not to let him know how much you're looking at your phone. Um, I had just got out of the shower and was walking along wearing my towel in my bedroom with my phone in one hand, like I was playing music while I was in the shower, and I got out of the shower, and... uh, I read that in my uh, on my phone, and because I just got a little notification, and I punched the air, and my towel fell off. <laughs> I'm not asking you to visualise that. I'm just saying it was a it was a special moment, and I this is to everyone now. I've had such a good year. I've had such an incredible year. I got married. I had the best Edinburgh I've had in 24 years. The tour was great. I played Wembley Arena. The Boutros started talking. In a few weeks from now, we're all going on on honeymoon together. The boy's coming with us as well in New Zealand, which is going to culminate in a a run at the World Buskers Festival in Christchurch. Hashtag always working. And it's been such an incredible year. And I just want to say, I was very moved by that email. I love the idea of a a two-second digital flare of hope. (laughs) That's beautifully put. And so it inspired me, given that this is the last one this year, and uh, there'll be some great big James Acaster banging great episodes coming your way soon, but there'll be a couple of weeks off. I just wanted to take this opportunity to say thank you to you, to all of you, not just to my wife and child and all of my colleagues and friends and everyone in comedy and my management who've looked after me so well this year, but to you. This podcast has... (laughs) 
I'm sort of slightly doing it. I've, I've written down loosely what I want to say and I started reading it out there. I'm going to not read it out. What I'm trying to say is doing this show has changed my life. And it feels like every day something brilliant happens. I get an email or a, a Facebook message or a tweet or someone gets in touch or stops me in the street and says hello or someone somehow tells me that this thing is making a difference to their life or it just in some way they're just... <laughs> you just sort of go, nice one, Stu, keep going. And uh, <laughs> and I, I punch the air and my towel falls off. So thank you. Thank you. Have a very happy Christmas, everybody. Have a brilliant new year. I'll be back in mid-January with an episode uh, with Mr. James Acaster. And there's plenty more in the can. We've got a brilliant one with uh, uh, Colin Holt coming up. I've still got K. Trevor Wilson from Montreal, which is lovely. And Julio Torres from, uh, uh, well, he's L.A., but I did him in Edinburgh. And Anne Edmonds from Melbourne earlier this year. There's loads, loads of stuff to come. Plenty more in the diary. Um, so finally, I will leave you with this Christmas message from me and the Boutros. Happy Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.